your one stop for exclusive interviews. I'm joined by University of Central Oklahoma quarterback commit Cooper Wilcox. Cooper, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Man, really, the culture that the coaches show as soon as you walk in the doors, they make you feel like your family. They make you feel like a, a healthy environment to come and play football. I'm joined by University of Central Oklahoma senior H-back Dante McGee. Dante, thank you for taking time this morning to talk to me. This is honestly a once-a-lifetime thing, you know. Usually you get your five years and you're done, but you know, you get an extra year of play. I was like, you know what, I, I want to come back. I want to spend another year with these guys. Game press conferences. I didn't really like my first read, so I was just went to playmaker mode. Game previews, recaps, brought to you by me, your host, JG Smooth. You're listening to The Cho Show, only on the Suave Report. Morning, afternoon, evening, night, whatever time it might be. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Choso Podcast presented by TheSponsorReport.com. I'm your host, Jonathan Goodall, a.k.a. J.D. Smooth. We are back. It is day two of, once again, it should be four, here uh, with the one-on-one episodes. Yesterday was Coach Adam Lechtenberg, and I appreciate him coming on. We had they actually posted that. Friday, we had it up on the Spotify, and then decided to wait until Monday to put it up on the YouTube channel. Again, the link is below in the description. All right, but today we have the man's brother, and he, he, we got, so we're going to be joined uh, by his, uh, his 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 brother there. So, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on my guest now. I'm joined by University of Central Oklahoma defensive coordinator Brandon Lechtenberg. Coach, thank you for taking time to talk to me uh, this afternoon. Could you start by telling the viewers and listeners out there uh, about, about yourself? Oh, a little bit about myself, I guess. Well, I'm from uh, Nebraska originally. I grew up playing eight-man football there. It's good to know Oklahoma has a late-man football as well. I went to school at the University of Nebraska and, and did not play college football there. I actually tried to walk on at the university, did not make it. Turns out I'm not quite tall enough or fast enough. So I started coaching high school football when I was 19 years old at some local high schools in the Lincoln area. And I played college rugby at the University of Nebraska instead. A little bit more more grit than ability goes into that game. So I started playing rugby and spent four years playing rugby at the University of Nebraska. Uh, after college, I coached um, high school football for a couple of years prior to getting a graduate assistant job at TCU uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. And I moved down there at about the age of 25, 26 and, and spent three seasons with, with uh, Gary Patterson and his staff there as a GA and kind of fell in love with the college game and have stayed in it ever since. So I went from TCU to spend six years as the defensive coordinator at Millsaps College Division Three School in Jackson, Mississippi, where I met my wife and uh, we've since had three kids as we've traveled and moved. So um, went from Mississippi to Tennessee to back to Texas to San Antonio and now here in Edmond. So uh, uh, now you mentioned that you played eight man football. Now, I, I played eight man in, in middle school. It was a unique experience. So like what well, for those who might not know the eight man game, what are some of the key differences Outside of that, there's three less players. But what 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 are the key the key differences uh, from the eleven man game to the eight man game? Well, you, we we always said you had it a little bit tougher to play eight man football. You, you got eight men doing the work of eleven, so somebody's got to pull up that extra weight because because ultimately it's the same game. But um, 
basically you don't have your, your tackles are eligible is the best way I would describe it. Your tackle and your tight end position are the same, same players. You got to, in at least the rules we played by, you had to have three offensive linemen that were ineligible. Um, but typically you had two tight ends or a split end that was eligible. So all those rules were the same. You just were missing like your wide receivers, your slot receivers, uh, things like that. Now some teams could play. And I think, like most of football as it evolved to a spread game. Some of those eight-man teams play with wide receivers and spread the game out a little bit more. But ultimately, you had you had fewer skill positions on the field is the best way to describe it, uh, or you didn't have offensive tackles on the field, however you wanted to build your offense. Um, typically, there was no, and I think Oklahoma's uh, more like where I grew up, where your best players were on the field, on offense, defense, special teams. Um, coming from recruiting and working in Texas a lot, a good part of my career, a lot of those bigger high schools there, guys only play one side of the ball or the other. But that's a similarity that I've seen across the board, even an 11-man in Oklahoma, where these guys are playing a lot more football over the course of the game because they are playing on both sides of the ball and, and bigger contributors on special teams as well. And then you also mentioned that you played college rugby. So, like, what what was that adjustment going from playing organized football to rugby? Uh, learning the rules, first of all. It's like uh, any other sport. So when you don't know the rules of the game, it takes a little <laughs> bit of a learning curve to, to figure it out. Um, from a physicality standpoint, they're very similar games. you got to have a mindset where you, you're not afraid of contact and you want to – you want to be able to run and hit and tackle. Um, I guess some key differences are everyone gets to carry the football in rugby, so to speak, or everyone gets to carry the ball in rugby. I was a linebacker and an offensive lineman, so I didn't carry the football a whole lot when I was a high school football player. In the game of rugby, you don't sub out offense, defense. It's more similar to soccer where you're you're playing the entire time, uh, and it's a fluid game where there's no – out of bounds or there's no timeouts. The play doesn't stop after every snap. It continues to run for 40 minutes straight uh, for a half. Basically, you take a little break and then you go play for 40 more minutes without the ball. The ball's always moving. So you go from offense to defense without running on and running off the field. Um, probably one of the biggest differences were the amount we'd play in a weekend. We'd go play a rugby tournament. We'd play five or six games between a Friday night and a Sunday afternoon. So your body would be pretty beat up uh, when you got back in a van or bus or however you were traveling to to get back home. So it wasn't one one game a week. It was we practiced twice a week and played five or six games on a weekend. So it uh, was a little bit more demand on the body. Um, but it was a, a lot of similarities, but a lot of just differences with the rules. Um, you were not you weren't throwing your shoulder into people, which is that's kind of been limited from the football game as well in recent years. But some of those highlight hits that are now illegal in football were always illegal in rugby. So you had to tackle a little bit different. Um, I guess those are some of the big differences. Yeah, now, five, six, like that's a that's a lot of game. Like, how did you like what, what was the what was the recovery like? Because that that's a that's a lot of wear, a lot of wear and tear. It's- <laughs> It it is a lot. No, it was uh, you were you were sore for the entire season, uh, um, and it was <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, is definitely rough on the body. 
Uh, okay, so so you mentioned after rugby career was done at at nineteen, you you started coaching. So, like, wh- at, at what age did you realize that you wanted to become a football coach? I realized relatively young when I was sitting in uh, in Mr. Elwanger's science class or Mr. Pebbles' math class, and I was drawing up football plays in my notepad. Um, I think. I think deep down, I realized I probably had limited athletic ability. I'm about five nine and five flat, if so, five nine tall, and I run the court. I ran my best forty time was about five flat. Those measurables don't don't project to a long playing career, but I was always very passionate about the game and being around the game. And I think I come from a family of teachers, and that's really what coaches are: is we're teaching teaching through the game of football, or we're teaching the game of football. So I've always, I think I've always deep down know that known that was kind of my calling. Um, I guess one of my proud moments is I drew up a play and gave it to our coach my senior year of football, and we ran it in the state championship game and it scored a touchdown. So, uh, so I started out drawing eight man plays, and then as I got into college and going to my college classes, I was drawing up eleven man plays. Those extra three guys allowed for a little bit more creativity. Uh, and then, so just looking at your coaching career, so from 2005 to 2007, you were at uh, North Star High School there as the D-line special teams coach. What was that What was that experience like, kind of uh, having your own unit and your own side of the ball and, and, and special teams? What was that, what was that like as, as a first-time experience? Um, I was probably like a lot of young coaches when I look back on that, where I thought I was much further advanced at that time than I actually was. Uh, So educational, I would say. I learned how much I didn't know about the game of football uh, because I thought I was pretty smart when I took over those roles. But a big part of it was getting to kind of do things on your own, take things you'd learned or studied or thought that might work and then put them into practice and, and then try to build something a little bit from scratch, so to speak, because at that point I didn't have a ton of, I thought I, like I said, I thought I knew a lot about the game of football, but looking back, I didn't know a whole lot about football when I was 23 years old and, and, and put in charge of a couple of units at a six, a high school in Nebraska where I was, where that was my primary responsibility. So it was educational uh, to say the least, but a lot of fun too. We ended up taking a startup new high school and made the playoffs in one of those years. So a start of kind of building something new. Uh, and then you you moved on from there. You became linebackers coach D uh, a DC at, at Central High School. So what what did you learn from that first your first uh, job there to the second one? Um, were, were there any 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 major lessons mistakes that you learned from that first one? You were able to uh, avoid when you got to Central City. Um, I'd say down the road is when I started learning to avoid lessons. I probably made the same mistakes at Central City. And, and part of, <laughs> I'm a slow learner. It took me a little bit of time to to figure it all out, and I still don't have it all figured out. Um, but uh, I would say part of the reason I took that job it was the opportunity to be a, to be in charge of the defense, which is something I've always wanted to do and have always been passionate about. So I was able to take some of those. Some of the organizational stuff I learned as a special teams coordinator and then put it into practice on the defensive side of the ball and being able to to and again that was a big reason why I took that job was I wanted the it was a smaller high school, but it was the opportunity to coach 
the defense and be in charge of the defensive side of the ball. And we took a, again, a school that had not had a lot of success and we made the playoffs in the one season that I was there. So that was exciting to be a, to be a part of that. And looking back, we were very basic on defense. Um, and, and my knowledge has grown a ton since then, but I'd say the same thing about special teams. It was realizing that there's a lot of football I didn't know yet. And that probably came once I, once I went to TCU and started working with coach Patterson following that experience. And now, so, okay. Now you, you mentioned going now going to TCU, you were a, a grad assistant there for two years. So what was the biggest, um, I guess, learning curve moving from high school to college? Um, well, I was put in a situation at TCU where fortunately my knowledge didn't make a whole lot of difference on how good we were. Uh, I was, my job was to do a bunch of the, like a lot of GAs, I was doing a bunch of the grunt work. I was doing data entry. Um, I was doing, um, just the, the basic office work. And then I was learning football as we went. And and that time I was there, it probably I felt I felt like looking back, I was on the right path with how I was coaching defense and coaching at both at North Star High School and at Central City High School. Um, but that sped me up a decade. Uh, just the time I got to spend learning from people that already knew all the information that I was kind of building towards with how to organize a defense, how to build fronts and coverages and all those things. But it definitely was a fast forward in my in my progression in terms of understanding scheme is probably the biggest thing that I learned there. And and I don't think when I talk to high school coaches that are that have been doing it for a long time, what we were doing at the college level isn't significantly different. I just didn't know at that point in my career. So I, I would actually say that, in my opinion, I don't think there's a huge difference between the college game and the high school game. Um, there's differences in resources that you have, but that's the same. We have fewer resources at UCO here than what they have at Oklahoma, but we have more resources than they do at, at other places that we have more resources here than we had at, at Millsaps college. when I was a division three coach. So it's all relative. And there's, there's certain bigger high schools that probably have more resources than we do in terms of coaches and things. So there's, it's more about the resources and time that you have to spend with players. And that's probably the college game does give you more access to players and more, more time with them than what the high school game does. So it gives you potentially, you can give them more information, but again, I've been a part of some, and even here in Oklahoma, as I got out this spring, there's a lot of, a lot of your high schools are spending a ton of time with their kids and giving them a bunch of information. So I don't see football's football at the end of the day. I don't see a huge difference in, in fact, I'd say a lot of times in the game of football, uniquely information travels up rather than down. You see some of the modern NFL game, the the RPOs, run pass option stuff, that all started in high schools. So a lot of stuff in the game of football actually starts at the high school level and coaches, they're not under the microscope of having to win so they can or 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 at least having their games on TV. And that constant pressure. So they try new things and do new things. And then us college coaches steal it from them and the NFL coaches come and steal it from us. That's something unique about the game of football, where I think a lot of times information travels, starts at the ground and moves up rather than vice versa, where where you're learning it from the top and it's kind of filtering down. Now, you had a chance to work with a, a, a great defensive mind in Gary, Gary Patterson there. What 
what would you say was, was probably the, the biggest thing that you learned or took away from your time at TCU? Probably, um, I'm going to give you two things. Uh, first of all, it's how he organized defensive play calling, defensive playbook, so to speak, and very different than most people organize a defensive playbook uh, right now. Um, he did it more in line with how an offensive coach would build a playbook and build how they call things, uh, where everything was kind of segmented, where the like on offense, they may call power right or power left, whatever language they use to call that. Um, and then they have a bunch of tags they can do with wide receivers. They can tell the wide receivers to block. They can tell the wide receivers to run routes. They can tell the wide receivers to run a bubble screen. Um, and they and they've segment those different things. Likewise, if they want to run a bubble screen, but they want to change the run game, they can run zone with it. Uh, defensive coaches have historically used shorter calls, and it's been built more off memorization than concepts. Uh, that's something that Patterson did that I thought was unique and that I've definitely taken with me. It's it's a concept-based way of calling the defense. He ran a 4-2-5 and ran a bunch of cover four, which is which is – that's not what I took from him. He made he, what he did became very popular during the 2000s, uh, early 2000, you know, from about 2005 to 2015. His defense was as popular as anybody in the country's. Uh, but it wasn't about running a 425 for me. It was about being able to be multiple in your defense and to be able to run a bunch of stuff without teaching your kids anything new. That's what I thought he did. And the, probably the number one thing I took is how do you. How do you simplify your system so that it's easy to do a lot of things with your kids? And, and it's not based off of memorization. That's probably the number one thing is that the kids didn't have to memorize anything. They had to learn concepts. And once the kids knew concepts as a coach, it was my job to put those concepts together to where we could one week be running a three down front and a three high shell. And the next week we could be running a four down front and a two high shell but you weren't teaching new things to your kids. They were doing the same thing from week one to week two because you were, because they knew the concepts early on during the, during the install period. That's probably the number one thing that, that I've taken is how to structure a defense and how to build a defense. If you look at us this year, we're going to be different schematically than what my core roots were at, with Patterson and the four, two, five, but we're going to use a lot of that same language. Like we're using a lot of the terminology but uh, what will look different on film, but it's all going to be concept based to where we can change it from at halftime of a game. We can look very different than we did in the first half. And again, we're not teaching our kids anything new. So that was probably one of the two things. I think the other most important thing that I learned from him every every July, we would have basically a defensive coaching coaches clinic where each position coach would get up on the board and install their portion of the defense as if they were installing the kids. And then that afternoon we'd go out and we'd go through drills and we would, the coaches were teaching the other coaches the drills, which to me, that was coaching coaches. Ultimately Gary Patterson couldn't be in every position room. Uh, so the coaches had to, had to be his voice in those rooms. So he had to be making sure that everyone's on the same page and I didn't realize it at the time until I started going to some other places that was less common than it was. I mean, that, that was fairly uncommon 
where other places I went to, it was just expected that the coaches knew what you wanted to teach and went out and there, it was, it was a little bit more segmented. So that was unique. I thought in my time there, and it's another thing I'm trying to replicate here at central Oklahoma. Uh, and you were able to quickly put what you learned under coach Patterson to use at most times college where you had a great run there. What now? Cause at the D three level, there is no academic scholarship. So like what, what was that recruiting like trying to get guys to go and play for you down there? Um, you had to be incredibly organized uh, and have a, have a big net. Uh, so you had to be recruiting a bunch of people because ultimately, uh, you're not going to, you're going to lose a lot of good football players. I always said there was a division three national championship team that was in the fraternities at Old Miss and LSU. Uh, cause that's who you were. In a lot of cases you weren't recruiting against, a. you had to determine whether or not a kid really wanted to play football or if they wanted to go to a, and, and there's, merit in that a lot of people want to go and be a part of of Oklahoma or Oklahoma State um and if they can't play football at those places they still want to go watch and play on Saturday so so that's where you had to find the kids who were truly passionate about the game of football and didn't care who was all watching or what they were missing that just loved to play for the sake of playing so and you had to have a big net to do that cuz cuz what you found yourself if i ever found myself trying to talk a kid into playing football he probably wasn't the right guy for us because uh, it probably wasn't that important to him. So there was uh, there was an element of that. Um, you had you just had uh, a lot of phone recruiting, a lot of challenges to find the right guys. Now, once you found the right guys that could play, that were tough kids and and good football players, then you had to go beat the conference schools on them. And a lot of times that was trying to figure out who could get them the most academic money. Um, how could you put together a financial aid package to, to limit what they had to pay out of pocket. Uh, so that, that there was a lot of challenge with that. I guess I say the biggest thing was again, have that big net so that you could, you knew you were going to lose probably nine out of 10 kids you were recruiting. So you had to make sure you're, you were recruiting a bunch of them. So going from having to deal with that from a recruiting standpoint to at your jobs after that, having athletic scholarships, what 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 lessons were you able to take away from that that you can apply to your recruiting philosophy now? When I uh, interviewed for the linebackers job at Incarnate Word, um, the guy is now the defense coordinator at SMU. Scott Simons was the D.C. there at that point, and he he had asked me a very similar question um, because I had my primary recruiting was division three recruiting and he was concerned I wouldn't be able to recruit at the division one level. I would say, and I'd probably answer your question the same way. It prepared me to, to be organized because without organization, it's very difficult to recruit at any level. Uh, and some things don't change. Um, you're going to, you still have to have a big net and you have to be able to be in constant communication with a lot of different players. I'll give you an example here for here at UCO and going through really just one January and then a spring. It's hard to get, you've got to find the right guys because the guys we really want, they may end up getting an offer from Oklahoma or Oklahoma State late. Uh, we had a couple, or they maybe get a FCS Division One offer we had a couple of kids that uh, were high on our radar that weren't going to get offered by the big boys, but they picked up in the last week of recruiting 
a Division One offer from an out-of-state FCS school, and kids will t- typically go if they they will typically go to a higher level. Uh, very rarely does a kid choose whether it's staying home or choose a relationship with a coach. Normally, if they can play Power Five football, that they don't care if it's Kansas, they're going to Kansas to play Power Five football. If that's what their Power Five option is. If they can play G5 football, they may go to UTEP or to New Mexico State, uh, but it's still a G5 Division I program, so there's some prestige in that. They can go FCS, they go FCS. And so we we fight that fight. At, at all levels, you're trying to find the right fit for you. Uh, and and we'll, we'll fight. I can already tell that we're going to fight preferred walk-on opportunities here. Some of our best recruits are guys that are getting maybe a – OU or OSU isn't offering them a scholarship, but they're offering them a preferred walk-on opportunity. And now they can go be in the big school and be a part of the football program, even though they're not getting the financial help that we're offering through a football scholarship. So you've got to find the right guy. So that, that is very, very similar. And in order to find the right guys, you have to have that big net where you're in constant communication. And sometimes you have a guy and this happened at Incarnate Word. I'll think of a linebacker that we signed there that's going to become a really good player for that program. We didn't offer him a scholarship until the last week of recruiting. Uh, he had been on our campus five times over in, during the course of his senior year at a camp, at a, at a campus tour thing, at a couple home games. But I had to keep constant, constant honest communication with him uh, to where when we finally decided he was the guy to invest that money in, that we already had a relationship with them and we had already had that stuff built. And that, that's a big thing is that we have to have relationships with players that we may not ever offer a scholarship to, but we have to have that relationship with them to where if we do, we're not starting over. The first time I call you isn't in the middle of January. Uh, we're communicating throughout the entire process and trying to be honest with kids to where, Hey, they know, they know where they stand with us, whether that, whether we've offered them or whether we haven't, they at least know where they stand with us to where if we do make that decision, then we're not starting from scratch from day one. We, we, we already have a lot of the core relationship built up, and now it's a matter of deciding if it's the right fit for them. And, and you you all, you were able to sign a, a couple of guys that had D1 offers. Uh, Cooper Wilcock had, had a couple of FCS offers. Jaleek Lewis had an FCS offer, and then Antonio Junior Smith had some offers. Just talking to Jaleek and Cooper, they mentioned – how big the relationship was with with you all. So mm-hmm. kind of fighting that, is that is that an area where you have to really outdo the other schools or, or is that something that, that you just always prioritize, not necessarily more? I think, well, I mean, I, I think we, in order to beat a bigger school, you absolutely have to have a personal relationship with a player. Um, you like you have got to have a much better relationship to where both the kid and the family feel like even though we don't have all the bells and whistles as some of those places do or we're not the same level as what they are, that we're still going to be that kid's best chance to be successful on and off the field. And I think having non-football conversations during the recruiting process and then once players are here is is important with that. Um so, yeah, I absolutely think that that and that's another thing when you asked about Division three recruiting, how it what I learned. That's one thing I learned because you're trying to convince a kid to pay out of pocket to come play football for you. In a lot of cases, I know Millsaps College was a private school that was 
much more expensive than UCO is. So if kid's not going to get scholarship money to help, why would he come play football for me versus going somewhere that's considerably cheaper for him to get a college degree? So you had to have those that relationship to to sell, so to speak, both the kid and the families that this is going to be your best opportunity to to really maximize what you can do as a football player and more importantly as a man in the classroom and off the field. Uh, and then wrapping up your, your journey to UCO, you after Millsaps, you spent a year, a good year at UT Martin, and then you ended up at Incarnate Word. Now, what you talk to me about Incarnate Word is you all went from one in ten to six and four. So, like, what what was the key to that to that turnaround? Um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into success, uh, whether you're trying to sustain it or whether you're trying to build it for the first time. Um, first of all, we had talent, uh, and that's one thing that I credit the previous coaching staff. We came in and replaced a coaching staff that had struggled to win some games, but um, they had recruited some talented players. Uh, a couple of those guys had been in, ineligible the year before based on some grades and things like that. Uh, so there was talent there. Uh, we also went out and added some pretty key pieces that January with our high school recruiting and then into that summer with some transfer recruiting. So there was ability in the building and then we were able to find some key pieces of talent to add to it. Uh, but more importantly than that was changing the culture of that football program and, and of that place. Uh, I'd, that spring, uh, it had the best GPA in the school's in the football program's history was was that spring, that first May that we were there. And that wasn't a cumulative GPA because some people had some ground to make up. But in terms of what they did in the classroom that spring, we set a, a high standard of expectations that was in the weight room, in the classroom, in the football meetings rooms, in your social life, in your family life, kind of across the board. We set a pretty high standard and high expectations for those guys and not everybody was on board and those guys left the program kind of addition by subtraction, I guess you could say, but the guys that were bought in that were talented. And then, like I said, we had some talent there and, and enough of those guys bought into what we wanted to become and they were hungry. Part of it is they had been a part of really the seniors in that program had only known losing. They hadn't been a part of winning programs. They were hungry to win and that probably overrid maybe some of their personal or selfish ambitions to really put the team first to know that it put them in some good situations. So combination of talent and culture kind of came together for us that first year that we were there. It was, a, it was a lot of fun getting everybody on the same page and kind of, and beating a former national champion and an eventual national champion again, Sam Houston state by three or four touchdowns. And we, we beat a bunch of the traditional FCS powers, McNeese state that year. Southeastern Louisiana. So, and we were an upstart that had only been a Division One football program for three years at that point. I think so. It was a lot of fun, and a lot went into it. But I'd say talent and and culture were the two big things. So, after your time there ends, then how how, how do you end up at a UCF? Well, we had a good stretch at uh, UIW. We won a conference championship my first year there, and then my middle two seasons, and one of those was that COVID spring year where we played a spring football season where we were about 500 both of those two years in conference. 
Um, and then this past year, we went 11 and two was our overall record. And we went two rounds deep in the playoffs, lost to the defending national champs at that point, Sam Houston State, in the second round of the playoffs. So we, we made a run that is unprecedented in that school's history. And coming out of that, um, as we hit kind of the Christmas time and kind of everything kind of people taking their breaks, um, Coach Doral took the head football job here. He'd been at Abilene Christian where we had been in the same conference for two out of those four years that the conference had split up, but we'd been kind of, um, so we'd been familiar with each other. I was special teams coordinator and linebackers coach, and we'd played his teams twice in four years, I think. Uh, he knew our defensive coordinator, Justin Deason, who I learned a ton from, uh, the guy I worked for at uh, UIW, was a former defensive coordinator at Texas A&M Commerce. So Coach Doral worked at Northwest Missouri State and Deason had worked at A&M Commerce. And those were two traditional Division II powers, obviously. And they had gone against each other in the playoffs a few times. Uh, so there was a familiarity between those two, I, as as I understand it. I know Coach Deason called me and said, hey, I just put in a word for you with Coach Doral. He's looking for a defensive coordinator. Uh, and then I he, I reached out to him originally, and then we had a couple conversations about it. And part of that was, again, my desire to, to be a defensive coordinator and to be able to put my my name on, on a, something a little bit bigger, so to speak, I guess you could say. So it was a great opportunity for me to come here and be a part of rebuilding a culture, really building a culture from scratch. It's also as close. I told you I'm from Nebraska. This is as close as I've lived to my parents <laughs> since I left for <laughs> Fort Worth, Texas, uh, 10 years ago. So, uh, nine hours doesn't seem that close, but when I've been living 18 for most of my adult life, so it's a little bit closer to some of my family there, there was just a lot of positives about this job. I'll tell you this, uh, UCO, provides better facilities and more support than the, than the reality is than the two division one schools I've worked for since leaving uh, TCU in terms of what we can provide for kids and the kind of opportunities we can provide for them. I thought that was really unique to come to a place that had already built the things that other places keep talking about building and keep saying they're going to do. And, and then to be able to provide our kids with the, uh, with the non-building resources as well. And by that, I say, uh, ultimately, people are what are going to make the difference for our players here and to get the right players here. But it's nice to have nice facilities. It's nice to have financial backing from some people that are investing into athletics here at UCO. So you 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 get here in December, January, you have to put together a class. You went out and you signed a, a, a really good class. I, I thought you, there were some really good guys in the secondary. Uh, Jalik Lewis, Curtis Wilson, like I'm forgetting, uh, Aaron Hamilton. And then at the linebacking core, was really impressive. Jack Puckett, Joey Haver. Uh, and, and then, of course, on the D-line, Zachary Stilwell. What, what did you like about that group you were able to put together in such a short time? Um, well, you, you missed Chase Faber. He's the one, the other guy that had division one offers kid out of McAllister had, uh, had several, had several G five offers, um, uh, was a third of those. So we brought three linebackers in, but what I would say, and this was a lesson learned at UIW when I was there with Eric Morris and Justin Deason. Um, and it just was echoed through working here with coach Doral that 
we put our time into recruiting high school. That first January we were there, it wasn't, it was about the process. It wasn't about signing a bunch of transfers that might come in as 22 year olds and ready to come play now. It was, we're going to be here for a minute. We need to get good culture in this program. And, and that's what, if you look at that class we have, there's a bunch of very tough, hard nosed, good football players in that class. And that's going to be a, core of what this football program becomes over the course of the next four years. Uh, just some guys that, that are, that's probably the number one thing is they have grit. They've, you've got guys that come from winning programs, guys that have accomplished a lot. And, and there's a lot to be said for that guys that know how to win and that know how, and, and then understand that you don't just show up and win. You have to work to win. You have to invest the time. You have to invest the, invest the effort into it. And they come from those programs where, that stuff's already being expected of them. So we're not going to be having to change their work ethic. They're coming in here with a great work ethic already. And then they also had good athletic ability. That's the flip side of it is those, those are kids. I told you I was five, nine and five flat. I was a hell of a football player. The reality is I wasn't athletic enough to play even <laughs> division two football, or I would have had division two football offers. Um, these kids are not only good football players, they're also athletic kids and they're kids that, have a huge upside on the, on the field. So we're very excited about them. And that, that linebacker unit, you mentioned Chase Faber, Joey Haver, Jack Puckett. What specifically about that group and about them excites you the most? Talking football with them. Um, and I think that's a position that's an IQ position more. I mean, every position you want smart players at, but that's a position where you have to really understand the game of football. You've got to be able to make checks and be great communicators. Uh, all three of those kids are football junkies. Uh, I, you sit down and watch film with them. They're asking questions. They're learning very, very quickly. Uh, they're guys that can that that I know right now are going to be able to not only learn quickly, but they're going to also be able to turn around and teach other players as they come into the program and teach teammates the defense, which is critical to have guys like that that can kind of direct things. I mean, that'd be the number one thing. Uh, they're also incredibly tough kids. Uh, I mean, you got you got a wrestler in there that's a, I believe, man, Jack, who is a state wrestler. You got Joey that comes from traditionally one of the top powerhouses in the state, and Chase who wrestles pigs in his spare time. He's a <laughs> he, he does his share of hog hunting out there the old fashioned way. So um, you've got just a group of guys that are, that are both smart and tough, which I think is at that position, it's it's critical to have that. And then uh, this this spring, it, it was the first kind of on field look working with your unit. Uh, now you have you inherited a really good defensive line, big physical, deep group. How how big is that to have a defensive line that's that talented, uh, kind of helping you in your first year here? I don't know if it's going to matter if it's my first year here or my twentieth. <laughs> um. It all starts there, and I got to give a shout out to Rashad Sanders, who's been here as a coach uh, for the past. This will be his third year. Uh, he was here with the previous coaching staff and was kept uh, on staff. I uh, did a tremendous job of recruiting and developing that group, and and we're paying dividend. I mean, we're get we're reaping the payoff of that right now. I think on the defensive side of the ball, really, I think that that's the position that makes or breaks you. Uh, having good players and more importantly, having depth, having more than like we, we are legitimately a three to four deep <laughs> position right now 
of guys that, that we could have taken at UIW and guys that would have came in and played there. Uh, so having that kind of talent and that kind of depth of talent, because guys get beat up over the course of a season. And yet you're what I've told my guys from day one on the defensive side of the ball, we can win a lot of football games with our ones. We need our twos to win a conference championship and we need our threes to win a national championship. And what that means is that for us to play 11 games and win enough of them to win the MIAA, at some point our twos are going to have to play big roles. At some point our twos are going to have to start and there can't be a drop off between your one and your two. Uh, in order for us to play 16 games and make a playoff run, your threes are going to have to play a big role at some point. And at some point you're going to be starting a football game with threes and you can't feel that drop off. You got those threes got to play at the same level as the ones. Defensive line is the position that we're as close as any to being able to do that with right now. Uh, putting together a, deep, a, a depth chart going into the fall on our defensive line, it's not real easy because we got a bunch of guys that can play, uh, which, again, that's a position where you need a bunch of guys that can play because they're all going to have to play a, a big role for us at some point this season. All right, and then in, in the secondary last year, there was an inconsistency at, at corner specifically. What – what did you see out of that unit uh, this this spring? Number one thing I saw this spring is they were much more talented than I thought they were going to be. Uh, and part of that was maybe me going into the spring with some with some expectations that were that that I'd heard they had struggled a little bit in the secondary the previous fall. Um, but when I saw it with my own eyes, we've got talented players there uh, and, and really a, a good group of talented players. Uh, with much better depth than I anticipated at those positions. Um, I think that we're trying as much as anything to to keep the scheme as simple as we can possibly keep it across the board at all positions to allow players to play fast and to allow players to not get caught up trying to think about what they're supposed to do or when they're supposed to do it, to, to be able to understand the scheme at such a level where when that ball snaps, they can just go play and play fast and play hard. So I think the number one thing I found out this spring about our secondary is, is we've got a talented secondary. Uh, we've got to add some depth to it. We've got to add some. And I think we have a good group of freshmen coming in that have done that. But overall, I was very, very pleased with the amount of skill we had at those positions. Uh, and now it's just getting everybody on the same page to run to the football and make make as many plays as we can. Uh, and then at, at, at linebacker, that's a position where last year's starters either graduated or, or transferred. What did you what did you learn about that group? Well, they had to be tough this spring <laughs> because uh, we had fewer numbers of that position than any other position. We play three linebackers at a time. Uh, we started the spring down um, with a couple guys that chose to leave before they really had been around our coaching staff and then um, had a couple guys that were uh, – key contributors in the past that were injured coming off knee injuries. Jason Harris, I think has been a pretty big contributor to this football program, but he, he's got a knee injury, had another kid, Jaden Mullins that had an ACL injury that, that are, that they're recovering from those injuries. So they weren't able to go during the spring. Uh, and then, so we started the spring with really just a two deep at that, at the linebacker position and quickly picked up a couple other injuries. And pretty soon we're going through spring where these guys aren't taking any time, any plays off because they can't in order for us to practice. Uh, there was more than one practice where if we had 
40 plays a team scripted, our linebackers were playing 30 of those 40 plays based on kind of being in a four-man rotation to get some breaks. So they had to be incredibly tough, and they they definitely stepped up to that challenge uh, and stepped up to those to the plate. It's it's a, it's again it's a talented group where I'd say the guys that that went through the spring for us that I had got a chance to actually see play and compete athletically are going to be comparable to the guys that that I had at UIW, and I think we've got some some young players that didn't get a chance to play a lot last year that have the athleticism to step in and play big roles and be big contributors this fall. Now was, was Marlo Hughes, was, was he able to, to go through spring healthy? Yeah. Marlo had a very, he had a, he started spring, had a mild injury that kept him out of a couple practices in the middle and then came back and finished strong, was a very productive player. And he's one of those guys I'm talking about that I don't think played a huge role last year from what I can tell, but look to have the ability to play at a very high level and, and again, was very bought in and and busted his butt all spring for us. I'm glad because Marlowe in 2019, I thought he was turning a corner. He had a really good start. He had a he had a pick six. And I think he had a collarbone injury and then didn't play the rest of that season. And then last year got beat out. So I, I'm glad that he's mm-hmm. healthy and 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 showing what, what I what what he showed in, in, in 2019. So overall, as a as a unit, what would you say was your biggest takeaway? from spring oh these kids are hungry and they care and they're and they're i mean they're they really care they want to win and want to be successful and 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 they're hungry like they're they're not afraid to do extra work they're not afraid to hold each other accountable and that's been a it's been fun to be a part of that culture this spring and and early summer as we've gotten things going but that's probably the biggest takeaway is we got a hungry football team which from my experience, is is one of the big keys to having a successful football team is guys that want it. Uh, and and what what do you need to see most out of that unit uh, when when fall camp starts? Uh, LCD, I call that leverage, close, and drive. That's going to be a combination of how we tackle and how hard we play. Uh, that's the number one thing that we'll talk about all spring. We'll talk about all fall. We'll talk about every day during the season. Um, leverage is referring to can we play the game of football with great leverage? Uh, and that's the the number one reason anybody ever misses a tackle is they're playing with bad leverage. Close is are we do we have 11 guys running to the football? Are we constantly playing hard? And are we constantly running to the football regardless of how tired we are, regardless of the circumstances? Can we be closing to the football and then drive is finished? Are we running our feet through contact? Are we being the most physical unit on the field, whether it's going against our offense in a practice or whether it's going against uh, Emporia State in week two? Uh, Whoever it is, are we the most physical players on the field? Are we the most physical unit on the field? That's probably the number one thing. More important than anything we do from a scheme standpoint, um, anything we do from a game planning standpoint, it's can we play? With LCD, can we play harder than anybody that we play against? Can we play tougher than anyone that we play against? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, before I get you out of here, I do, I do this with, with all the new guests, um, kind of get to know you type questions. Uh, your your favorite sports team? Oh, the Broncos, UCO Broncos. <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm only half joking. Uh, I I grew up 
uh, obviously having favorite teams, but as I've gotten into the coaching side of things, college coaching, it's, it's hard. I, I root for friends of mine that coach places anymore as much as anything. I don't necessarily have a loyalty to a team. I'd say the Chicago Cubs are the team that I've probably stayed the most loyal to. I'm also an avid NBA fan. Um, but even in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns were who I loved growing up. Kevin Johnson, Dan Marley, they were trying to knock Jordan and the Bulls out. Never quite got it accomplished, but my brothers, I got five brothers, they were all Bulls fans. So I had to go <laughs> against I had to go against the Bulls. Um, so the Suns were a but as I've gotten older, I mean I enjoy watching a good I, what I'm hoping these NBA finals do is they go seven games because they're all fun <laughs> to watch. I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old daughter. They get to stay up late with me whenever the NBA finals are on. So they're probably hoping it goes seven games too. But uh, but I NBA is probably the the game I am the biggest fan of just to go watch. I love watching the playoffs. But again, I don't really have a team anymore. I just enjoy watching good competition, and I kind of pick a team for each series. I guess you could say. So, so who who are you pulling for now, the Warriors or the Celtics? I am going for the Warriors. Uh, this is actually the series I wanted to see because when I was watching Boston play the first three rounds, I thought, God, this is a huge contrast in style between what Boston does and what the Warriors do, where the Boston is just a much bigger and more physical football or basketball team than the Warriors are. So, uh, But I've really enjoyed how the Warriors have played with – it really their entire run here, just the way they share the football, the way they, or the, the basketball, the way they pass and move. It's a fun brand of basketball to watch, but this series has been a lot of fun because you're seeing kind of a contrasting style. And I think Boston is ultimately the more talented team of the two, uh, but it's been a fun one to watch. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm, I'm also pulling for the boys as a, as a, as a Brooklyn Nets fan. I, I can't, I can't pull for Boston. <laughs> as a Brooklyn Nets fan, uh, Brooklyn Nets it's, been a, it's been a struggle with the expectations oh, you guys have had the last few years and, oh. and what they're actually putting out on the court. And it's so sad. Cause we know we, 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 we went from 41 wins combined in two years. And then we signed Katie and Kyrie. We're just like, finally we're out of the dumpster. And then we have the toe on the line fiasco from couple years ago and, and, yeah. and now it's just you know and, but you know i just i hope we get it together i really do <laughs> we can't yeah how, how were you when they signed hard and were you one of the guys thinking that's the fun that's the, we can't be beat now or did you know how it was going to go with hard I, I was one that didn't want to do that trade because i felt karis lavert from a longevity standpoint was someone that we needed to keep and then we also gave up jared allen which really hurt because it's like i get we have claxton but Claxton also can't stay healthy. And then we have no depth behind him. And then we saw that that actually hurt us in the, in the Milwaukee series. And, and so then we at least were able to get Drummond and, and Seth Curry out of, out of that Harden deal. But it just, I don't know. It's more so if Katie's foot wasn't on that line. It just, like, that's, just <laughs> one, that's just still, I feel like it's like one of the ones. Yeah. I, still, I still don't think that we would have won the championship because it would have solely been KD at that point because Kyrie was out and then Harden only had the, the one leg essentially. But uh, yeah. it's, just, it's just tough to see, you know, the man play that hard and then they lose. But I don't know. I mean, I, I got I got, I got got faith in, in Sean Marks. He has turned it around. So we just got to hope we can put it together and at least make one run. I hate to see mm -hmm. we have that group and, and the best we get is, you know, second round. But I'm, I'm just hoping for the. Hoping for the best on that front.
Um, let's see. Okay, your 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 favorite food. Favorite food does ice cream count as a favorite food? It does. I uh, give me vanilla ice cream with Spanish peanuts and Hershey's chocolate syrup on top, and I'm going to be a happy man. Okay. Okay. Now, do you have a favorite favorite brand of ice cream? No, not really. Mm. I know I, everybody's uh, coming from Texas. Everybody's bluebell down there, but uh, I don't. Ice cream's ice cream to me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, um, your, your favorite hobby outside of football? Man, I got three young kids. I haven't had a hobby in so long. <laughs> um, my kids are one and three and five. Is being a dad count as a hobby? Yeah. I go home. That's what I'm dealing with. Uh, no, but I I like actually uh, mountain biking was uh, something that I I have not gotten rid of my mountain bike yet. Although it's been a little, it's been a minute since I've used it. Um, it's something I really enjoyed pre kid, and I hope to be able to pick it back up as these kids get old enough to where they're not constantly pulling on my wife and I. So, <laughs> so I'd say anything outdoor, mountain biking, kayaking, uh, stuff like that is stuff that I've enjoyed doing. And I really like being outside doing out, outdoor sporting stuff. Uh, okay. Now you, now you mentioned you have, you have three young kids. So like, what is that, what is that balance like? I mean, because you're, you're balancing running a defense uh, and then you're, you're, you're balancing family. So like wh- how, how do you kind of manage that? Um, be present. If there's any advice I've ever given to young coaches, it's that. Uh, be present. When I am at the football office or at the football field meeting room, I need to be present and be there for the coaches, there for the players, uh, be with them, and not necessarily bring my home life, frustrations, good, bad, whatever may be going on there, into the football facility. Uh, likewise, when I go home, we had a bad day at practice. Coach Doral got all in my butt about something. I can't bring that home with me. I've got to be present when I'm at home. I can't be thinking about all the issues that we have or all the things that we got to get fixed when I'm at home with my kids. I need to be, I need to be a father and a husband when I'm home with my family. Now, the flip side of that is so much time gets spent in this profession that they can't be separate from each other. If you're ever up here at the offices, you'll see my girls running around. You'll see them hopping in a meeting room. You'll see them running around the football field. My family is always welcome here and my players are always welcome at my home. So that's going to be kind of a split answer, I guess. But uh, when I'm with my family, they got to be the most important thing. When I'm here with my players, the players got to be the most important thing. And both sides of that, they got to understand they're both always welcome in, in all of those settings. And, and you also mentioned family. You, you're, you're also coaching once again with your brother, who I think was at TCU with you. Yep. What has that what has that experience been like kind of reconnecting now, coaching together? Uh, it's it's been awesome in a lot of in, in really all ways. Uh, the number one way is is having three kids and my wife and I have lived away from immediate family for really all of these kids. We haven't had family close by for all my oldest daughter's Irene. She's five. We moved from Mississippi where her family was at when Irene was a couple months old. So really, we've been parenting without having grandparents or brothers or sisters to help babysit, to help drop kids off and things like that. It's been 
we live about a mile and a half apart. So it's been awesome to, if, if I need something or if they need something to have family close by where we can immediately call on to help in that way. So there, it, there's just a functional element to it. That's, that's really cool. Um, but there's also, uh, we, we, I had a very close family growing up. I'm mean, close to all my brothers and sisters and being able to spend quality time, even though I'm so far away from most of them, being able to have at least one of them that's close by that we can spend some time with has been pretty cool. And, and then from a coaching standpoint, um, I don't know. It's just, it's fun to be able to do what you love with people that you love. Uh, so, so it's been a, been a fun experience so far. Now he coaches offense and I coach defense. So I'm sure some Sunday during the fall, we'll have a, we'll have it out with, against each other, but, <laughs> but it won't be the first or last time we do that. Probably. Um, okay. Let's see your, okay. Your, your favorite TV show. Favorite TV show. Boy, I watch a lot of Disney plus, uh, these days. Um, <laughs> Um, but I'll, so I, Game of Thrones was a big show for me. Obviously it's a little bit older right now, uh, but I read all those books and they were great books. And then the, when the show came out, I thought they did a great job of, for the most part, keeping that thing pretty on par with what the books were, but they were, that was a show I really, really enjoyed. Um, I'm trying to think of something new going on right now. I'm kind of into Vikings Valhalla right now. The original Vikings that came out on the History Channel was a pretty good show. I've started. This is the time of year where I watch a lot, a good bit of TV. I got a little bit more downtime, so when the kids go to bed, I get to watch something I want to watch now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm into Vikings a little bit right now. It's probably the one show I'm watching with some consistency right now. Okay. Uh, so your, your favorite musical artist. Favorite musical artist? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I got a bunch of them that I like. I, I got an old record player that I listen to. Uh, we, my daughters and I, just bought a Bob Marley um, record, so I'll go with Bob Marley right now. Okay, okay. that's who yeah. it is right now. <laughs> okay, so do, do, do you have a, a, a favorite Bob Marley song? No, not necessarily. Uh, I'm I'm terrible at these questions. I don't have a lot of favorites. I apologize. <laughs> I'm pretty eclectic with my musical listening too. So, so uh, I just, it's all good. He's got a bunch of good stuff. Uh, and then, uh, do, do you have any uh, pregame routines that you normally do? Um. So we, I, we'll see if my pregame routines have changed with age and, and responsibility. Uh, we always did. So we always played primarily night games at UIW. And that was anytime we had a home game, I got to do breakfast with my kids at home. So we'd do pancakes and, and I do a big breakfast with my girls uh, on game day. A lot of times, obviously when we're traveling, that was hard, but I guess that would, the, the closest thing I have to a pregame ritual was my grandparents have passed away now don't feel bad they lived to be in their upper 90s they had great lives they passed away about six or seven years ago now um but i used to call my grandmother every every saturday morning on a game day when i was drinking a cup of coffee and talking with her uh, i do i call my mom now so i kind of replaced my grandparents or my grandmother with my mother making that weekly phone call in season just to catch up and I'm a big coffee drinker, so I usually try and carve out 15 minutes to have a cup of coffee and make a phone call. Now, what is the coffee of choice? 
straight black coffee. Folgers, you know, I'm a pretty simple man now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I guess my, my final question for you would be, do, 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 do you have a message to maybe those out there that are still on the fence about coming out and, give, and, and giving you all a chance this season? Do you have a message about what they could or can expect if they come see you all play this fall? Well, you're going to see high caliber football if you come out and watch us play. Uh, and there's a lot of misconceptions. I think when people grow up only going to OU or OSU, uh, they don't think the lower levels have the same talent. I can tell you right now, we got a bunch of players on this football team that are talented enough to play at those places uh, and and to play potentially at a higher level than that as well. So you're going to see, you're going to find out that Division two football, especially in the MIAA, which is the premier Division two football league, is not just a bunch of good football players. It's also a bunch of elite athletes that are also good football players. So you're going to see um, fast and physical, uh, violent football, which is how it's supposed to be played. So I'd say that's the number one thing I'd say is you come out here, don't be surprised when you hear pads cracking and, and you're like, wow, these guys, they're, they're, these guys can move, these guys can run because it's a high level of football getting played out here in Edmond. And I encourage everyone to come out, check us out and, and see for yourself what, what it looks like. See, see I, I, I used to be in that camp. My first time, first UCO game I came to, uh, I, I was blown away because I did not anticipate it being one, that level of football, but just, like just the, the quality of the game, it really caught me off guard. And, and so ever since then, I kind of been hooked, realizing that there, while there is a difference, it's not as big as you would think there mm-hmm. is between the FBS, FCS, D2. It, it isn't as big of a gap as, as I think people think. So, um, well, Coach, that's all I have for you. I appreciate you taking time this afternoon to come on and talk. Uh, you're more than welcome to come back. And I'm I'm, I'm really wishing you the, the best of luck this, this season. I know the defense, especially that defensive front, was, was really impressive and, and so I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing how we build upon the defensive success we had last year uh, moving into a fall. Absolutely. I appreciate your time and I appreciate the publicity you give to our football program. I know the kids appreciate it so uh, thank you. Well, thank you, Coach. So again, I want to thank Coach Lechtenberg for taking time to come on there. I, I'm really excited about the defensive unit as a whole. I mean, obviously, Defensive line, uh, they, you know, I mean, they, they, there's not much more you can say uh, about that, you know, especially if you watch the the, the, the breakdown over on the YouTube channel. Uh, the, you, you would just see the dominance that is that or check out the one-on-one with Coach uh, Rashad Sanders again. It, it just That unit is great. What encouraged me the most is he mentioned about the secondary, about the, the, the talent level and the stride in the secondary. Uh, I know Kobe Stevens was somebody that I believe was, it might have been Coach Curley, I think, had pointed him out as somebody to watch. That's very good because, as, as, as we know, that was kind of a short spot last year. And he also mentioned the, the linebacking unit. I think those freshmen going to have a really good chance. If you go back to signing day, you know how high I am on that unit as a whole particularly Joey Haver and his, and, and his ability probably in, in coverage. I think Jack Jack Puckett, uh, for the uh, longer UCO fans, you remember Dylan Hall. Uh, that, that just screams Dylan Hall to me. 
and then Chase Faber, his highlight tape was very short. It was like two and a half, three minutes, but uh, looks like a very big physical player uh, uh, as, as as well on that front. And he was also mentioned Marlo Hughes and Jason Harris. If, if you, if Jason Harris was an all-conference caliber guy and in the past two years, unfortunately for him, uh, he's been kind of banged up. And then Marlo Hughes is somebody I've been a fan of. If you go back to that 2019 season, Mentioned you would see in the early episodes before he had that collarbone injury how high I was uh, on on the man because this was a guy that was a safety coming out of Enid. I think he was playing. He's playing really good football. He had that pick six against against Lincoln uh, prior to the injury, and then last year uh, he was beat out, and then the shift to the to the to the four two five under former coach. I mean under yeah, under former coordinator Dustin Landry there. Uh, he did not get to play as much. I think he was on special teams. So I'm really looking forward to seeing those those, those two guys as well. And they also brought in a Juco because uh, he followed me on Twitter there, I guess, a few weeks ago. So uh, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the defense. I'm really looking forward to it. I think the defense, the defense last year was good. I mean, you could achieve a, a, a lot of that to the defensive front. But I think going back to more of a four-three because he didn't say they're going to be with a base three three linebackers. And then go back to the four-three. Uh, it should help more against the run. I think that was somewhat of a problem at times last uh, last year. So really excited for that unit again. I want to thank Coach Lechtenberg. That is a very insightful interview there. And uh, we should be back tomorrow. Tomorrow should be on the baseball front. And uh, then we'll be getting back to some more UCL football Thursday. So just be on the lookout for those two in the coming days. Uh, until that time, my name is Jonathan Goodo, a.k.a. J.G. Smooth. I'll talk to you all later. <laughs>